Welcome to Paycor's Need to Know podcast. It's our quick look at a single subject in the world of HR, payroll, and every area of employee management. It's what you need to know. Who doesn't want a little free advice? Catherine Weber is an attorney with Jackson Lewis. She works exclusively with employers on labor and employment issues. She stopped by the Paycor studio to talk about three payroll and timekeeping concerns that every employer needs to know. Catherine, thank you for joining us today. How would you describe the work you do? At Jackson Lewis, we are a labor and employment boutique. All we do is work law. We only represent employers. Um, so whether it's a compliance issue or whether we're trying to help you figure out how to discipline an employee properly or how to come into compliance with a brand new law, that's the only type of work that we do. So we have over 800 employees, uh, 800 attorneys who specialize in that area of the law. That's all we do. We have 57 offices. So wherever you have employee problems or employee challenges, we're there to help you. Let's talk about three of the top concerns a small business should have. Uh, people start their business because they want to do a particular type of work. They want to be their own person. That's all well and good. But there's there's another side, regardless of what type of business you're in, it's a business. And businesses have rules and regulations and, and they must follow certain guidelines. What are the three things that you think all small businesses and even medium businesses should be worried about? Sure. I think that the, the biggest challenge that that brand new entrepreneur faces is coming into compliance with wage and hour laws. All right. Most um, smaller or mid-sized employers, people who have just started their own business, they think that just because I pay my employee on a salaried basis, that must mean they're exempt. Nothing could be further than the truth. What, well, is there, a, is there a salary level where they're exempt? Or is it just, even though this person's getting a salary, regardless of what that salary is, there's still some, there's still some things out, some watch outs. Sure, well, essentially people focus in on whether I pay the person a salaried basis. They say, well, I pay my administrative assistant a salary so I don't have to worry about it. Not so, that's only one of the three things that the employer has to do in order to classify the person as an exempt employee. They have to pay them on a salary basis, which means they have to receive that weekly salary every week without a reduction based on quality or quantity of work performed. And there are only limited circumstances where you can deduct for absences for that exempt employee. Um, the person has to receive a minimum set salary every week. In addition, they have to meet the duties test of whatever exemption it is that you think applies to that employee and exempts them from the obligation for you to pay overtime. So for instance, um, if my administrative assistant doesn't fall within one of the exemptions, it doesn't matter that I pay her on a salaried basis and it doesn't matter um, that she meets the minimum salary threshold. If I can't show that she performs the duties of one of the FLSA exemptions, then she is not exempt. And if she ever challenges me and she makes it over to the Department of Labor or she goes to see a plaintiff side attorney to bring a lawsuit, I could potentially owe her for all the hours she worked over 40 for three years. That could be a lot. Plus a double amount for liquidated damages, uh, okay. plus her attorney's fees. Okay, great. And so if she brings it on behalf of all of her colleagues in the same job classification, then it's everybody that held that position with the past three years. And that is where we just shut our doors because we can't, we can't either pay or we have to liquidate everything to pay this. You know, those are the most challenging types of lawsuits because the risk is so significant. We refer to it as a bet the company type of case. 
what's next? What's our second thing? When we're talking about wage and hour issues or challenges that sometimes entrepreneurs or, or small to mid-sized business owners don't even know are there, um, I would have to say that the next thing is off-the-clock work. And off-the-clock work happens when you've got a non-exempt employee. Maybe hourly? An hourly employee, okay? And um, let's say it's my secretary, and I've got this big deadline coming, and I have to get something out the door by 1 o'clock. My secretary knows I'm under the gun, and she says, don't worry, I'll work through lunch. Well, she's already clocked out for lunch, but I'm happily going to take her work product because she's helping me meet her deadline, right? Well, I'm not paying her for hours worked. So again, if she later challenges me on that, I'm going to owe her for that time that she spent working that wasn't paid. Sometimes we have employees, too, that'll come in and say, no, 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 I'm going to come in early and catch up on my work, or I'm going to stay late and catch up on my work. If you know, or you reasonably should know, that your non-exempt employee is working, then you have an obligation to pay them. So whether it's because they're working before their shift, after their shift, during their lunch from home, using their BlackBerry to check emails. You know, the worst thing is if you've got your non-exempt employee um, and you've sent an email that you expect them to work on, you know, when they get to the office on Monday and they respond to you midday on Saturday. Yeah, that's, they're working. That they're working, right. Which leads me to ask about timekeeping. It's so vital. The days of paper-based timekeeping, I filled it out on Friday, trying to remember all the hours I worked Monday through Thursday, what lunch hour I took, when I got in, when I got out. Those days are gone. I have to be tracking time for all my employees, exempt, non-exempt. I have to track time in an audible manner, as they say. You know, for your non-exempt employees, you absolutely have to track the hours that they worked, and you have to do so accurately. There's no fudging. There's no getting around it. Um, because if you're not tracking all those hours worked, how are you ever going to be able to pay them for those hours? And if you don't accurately track them, what's going to happen is one day when one of your employees sues you, that employee is going to be able to rely on their recollection or their notes or their DOL approved app for how to track hours worked. And they're going to say to you, no, you know, you didn't accurately track my hours worked. I really worked off the clock or I really worked this amount of hours and you only have paid me for Y number of hours. And you know, as we face the, um, the imminent issuance of the final white collar regulations, if you don't have a handle on how many hours of work your exempt employees are currently working for you, uh, you know, it will be next to impossible for you to come up with a proper compensation formula, the proper hourly rate that you're going to pay these folks who are going to transition from exempt to non-exempt. And we're going to dive just a little bit deeper into this. Timekeeping, it's, it's okay to bring in a time clock, biometric, badges, linking in through the computer. It's not, it's not terrible, even if, even if you have white collar folks to still have a time clock. A lot of employers will track time. I mean, for instance, attorneys, all right, we're exempt, all right, but we don't track our time when we come into the office or when we stop working, but we pay or we bill our clients based on the commodity of the time that we spend. So even we track our time. So you, br you bring up a good point. If you have these exempt employees, your time tracking, your time keeping, it's twofold. It, it, it has, serves two purposes. One is to track their hours and make sure everything's legitimate and, and, and present an audible trail for years and years. But the other one is you can apply it to how long did this project take? What did this person do for these days? Now I know how many hours are, are applied against these different projects. I can determine, well, are we 
billing enough? Are we, you know, where, where was our proposal correct? Sure. You know, for your non-exempt, pardon me, for your exempt employees, you know, we don't pay those folks based on the hours that, we, that they work. We pay them to do a job regardless of how many hours it takes. That's the benefit of having a salary. That's the exchange for the salary, all right? Um, but as a business owner, we need to make sure that we're accurately understanding the efficiencies uh, of how we get our clients served, of the products that we manufacture, of whatever the services are that we provide. So if we know that it's going to take our employees X number of hours to do a particular project, we're in a far better position to anticipate and bid on the next project. We're in a far better position to understand whether or not we have uh, duplication of efforts within our system. We're in a better position to improve the system. So there are lots of reasons how timekeeping comes into play. Okay, terrific. So, quick review. Number one, problem, concern that people should always have salaried employees doesn't necessarily mean exempt from everything. You've got to be careful there. Uh, number two, for non-exempt, capture every single minute. Uh, if they're working through lunch and they've clocked out, that's a big no-no. And you'll hear, well, it just happens every so often. Those every so oftens add up very, very quickly. And it does not take that much for them to walk down the street and find somebody who's going to bring a lawsuit against them for every so often. What's our third concern? What is the third watch out? I would say that the third watch out is assuming that just because you're in compliance with federal wage and hour law, that you're also in compliance with state wage and hour law. Because most employers don't understand that they have to comply with both. And it gets even more complicated if you're an employer who has employees in multiple states. So let's say we have 50 employees in Ohio and we have 20 employees in Kentucky. We have to comply with federal law across the board. For our employees in Ohio, we have to comply with our Ohio laws. But when we get into Kentucky, we also have to comply with the state wage and hour laws in Kentucky, which are very different than the state wage and hour laws in Ohio because unlike federal law, they require meal breaks and they require rest periods. And there are even some exemptions that apply on the federal level that don't apply in Kentucky. So I've got some homework ahead of me as I'm starting out my business, as I'm taking my business to the next level. To wrap this up, a lot of these regulations are based on the number of employees you have. Of course, it's based on exempt and not exempt, but the next part of it is based on number of employees. What are the tiers where I need to say, okay, I've moved from this tier to now this tier, and I need to see what new changes or what new regulations I need to comply with? Sure. You know, when you're a small employer and let's say you only have one or two employees, you're not going to be governed by federal uh, anti-discrimination laws. Um, you could still potentially be covered by the Fair Labor Standards Act if you were tremendously successful and hit that $500,000 enterprise coverage mark. Um, or perhaps you have an employee who's engaging in interstate commerce as part of their job. But generally the first level where we start to get regulation coverage is at that 15 is it 15 exempt and non-exempt, or is it just 15 across 15 the board? 15 across the board. If you've got 15 employees, you've got federal Title VII coverage. Okay, Title VII is the federal law that says no discrimination based on these handful of protected categories. In addition, you're going to have the Americans with Disabilities Act coverage. Okay, The next level that's going to pop up there is 50. Once you hit 50 employees, then you've reached the point where you're going to be covered by the Family and Medical Leave Act. Once you hit 100 employees, then you're going to be covered 
by certain federal rules that require you to do record um, or provide information to the federal government regarding how many employees you have in various categories and what their gender is and what titles they hold and things of that nature. And recently we saw that uh, the federal government is pushing and they want employers uh, in the very near future to start including pay information with their equal uh, pardon me, with their EEO-1 reports. And that's, the EEO-1 report kicks in when you have 100 or more employees. If you have 100 or more employees, you've got to, every year, submit an EEO-1 report that characterizes how your employees are basically distributed over various classifications. So, you know, 15, 50, 100, those are really the magic numbers. And you also have to keep in mind that at the state level, they can be even smaller. So for instance, you know, you could have a state law that kicks in at four, or a state law that kicks in at eight. And even if you don't have a federal or a state regulation that kicks in, if you, let's say you sexually harass somebody, but you don't have enough employees to be covered under federal or state law, and you go, ha, I got a pass. You don't, because there's this beast called a wrongful discharge action. And in a wrongful discharge action, the employee will be able to say, look, there's this policy out there that we don't sexually harass employees, and you violated that policy, so you now owe me money for committing that tort against me. It sounds like what I need to do is just plan and, and, and just budget some time to talk to you, talk to an attorney as my, as my company moves up these different stages. You know, if you think about it like going to see a doctor, you go to the doctor every year and you talk to your doctor about the changes that you're experiencing in your health. And your doctor may say that, you know, once you reach a certain age, maybe you need to add this vitamin or, or this supplement. That's the same way in a workplace. If you own a business, you really ought to be touching base for one of those annual exams, if you will, um, with, with your attorney that helps you with these labor and employment matters. Touch base with your folks at Paycor to make sure that you're in compliance. And more important, that you know what's coming down the path at you so that you can anticipate those changes and get ready for them. Um, there are lots of things you can do to help prepare yourself and prevent um, employees from being disgruntled and employees who might sue you. You can minimize those risks, but it all takes that annual checkup, if you will, to get that job done. That is great advice, Dr. Weber. Thank you very, very much. My pleasure. Take care. The Need to Know podcast and its contents are the exclusive property of Paycorn Incorporated and may not be distributed without prior written consent. The subject matter in this podcast should not be considered tax, financial, or legal advice. For more information about this subject or other employee management solutions, please contact your Paycor specialist or visit paycor.com. Thank you for your time.